Um, we're going to turn in our Bible reading, if you have the copy of the Holy Scriptures, we're turning to Psalm 22 this morning, reading, of course, from the authorized version, commencing to read at verse 1. Let's hear the Word of God. Follow with me, if you can, if you have a copy of the Sacred Scriptures. Psalm 22, let's hear the, the Word of God. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a man of repro a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me about. They gaped upon me with their mouths. As a ravening and a roaring lion, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thou to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. We'll end the reading there at verse 21. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now we have a very few announcements this morning. We want, of course, as a congregation to sympathize with our sister Agnes Keyes on the death of a dear niece. And thou dost know the circumstances of arrangements for a funeral at these times. It makes it even more difficult to remember Agnes Keyes and her dear family in prayer. Then, of course, do remember tonight, we'll seek to attempt to have a united prayer meeting via the means of Zoom at 6.30, and then we'll have the evening service in the will of God at 7 o'clock. Once again, I will be the preacher. Please do remember us in prayer. We want you to uh, join in and listen and encourage others to join in as well. Could I just also mention that we have issued two pastoral letters um, 
The first one was really to uh, do with a spiritual response in light of COVID-19. And then, of course, the second letter was informing you about what our church is attempting to do in this time of lockdown. We have also want to bring to your attention that on Wednesday night at the prayer and Bible study meeting, we will send you a link again to Zoom, and we trust and pray that as many as possible will avail themselves of this opportunity. We would like to thank you for remembering the work of God at this time, not only prayerfully but practically. The treasurer has told me that the building fund for the month of February came to £775, and we do thank you for your giving. Do remember the ongoing needs of the church in your prayers, and we have highlighted some of that in our second pastoral letter to you. I sent out two letters because I just didn't want it to be about finances. You well know uh, in this church I never make an appeal for money for myself and I uh, commend you to God spiritually before I would ask for any practical support. So I, I trust that these announcements are acceptable to you and I pray that the Lord will richly bless you. Do you remember then next Lord's Day it's Easter Sunday and I'll be here with an Easter message. Brother Mark will be uh, working at the mixing desk, sending out the live broadcast, and in the will of God again, then we will preach in the evening. And in two weeks' time, then I hope at least to return to our studies in the book of Daniel, and we could make that uh, known. Uh, these announcements, of course, are always subject to the will of God. Now let's ever again so briefly unite in a word of prayer. Our Father, we commend our dear congregation to thee. Even though we're absent one from another, we plead, Lord, that the Lord watch between me and thee. We pray you'll grant us that blessing. Remember every dear family. We think of our boys and girls. We think of our young people. Lord, undertake for them. We, we ask thee, Lord, you'll remember this Keys family. We think of the death of a dear niece for Sister Agnes, and we commend that family to thee. And we pray that thou, being the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies, would undertake for that dear family at this time. We think especially, Lord, of those that have been bereaved with COVID-19 here in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland, and especially, Lord, throughout our United Kingdom. And we pray that you'll comfort all who have been bereaved in this way. You know all about the funeral arrangements and the difficulty. And we pray, Lord, you'll grant grace and you'll undertake. Remember our uh, NHS staff, we thank you for them, especially those in the front line. Bless all our doctors and nurses. Remember our care workers, even those that are going into care homes. And you know, Lord, all about the lack of personal protection equipment. And we pray, Lord, that that will be rectified soon and we look to thee that you will help our doctors and nurses even as they treat those that are seriously ill at this time thou dost know the great need in northern ireland lord we pray that it might please thee to stay this plague that was the power to do it lord we believe that uh, this pestilence is a warning from thyself thou art speaking in mercy and we ask thee in jesus name that you'll cause many to get down on their knees and cry out to thee for their sin and pray, Lord, to thee for salvation and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We pray there'll be a great putting away of sin and a turning to thyself. And we make a prayer this morning. We want the Lord Jesus to be seen. We want the gospel of Christ to be heard. We want to know the experience of living in the comfort of the gospel in these times. 
Lord, remember homes. Remember this lockdown situation. If it pleases thee in mercy, intervene. Remember our government. You know all about the bad laws that Westminster's passed. And we pray, Lord, that you'll have mercy. And Lord, you'll deal with the men of Belial and deal with the men of blood and bring them to naught, Lord, and put into the place of these ungodly men, good and godly men. For we know that sin is a reproach to any people. And we know that righteousness exalteth a nation. And we know our nation has been brought down and low because of sin. Lord, let sin be repented of. Let there be a, a repudiation, a recognition. Let there be a turning to thee. Lord, even have mercy on our prime minister at this time. Show him his sin and help him to repent and get right with God. And may your healing touch be given to him. Remember our queen. We think of this broadcast today. Help her majesty. And oh God, we pray that we'll take the advice on board and we'll listen. And we commend the royal house to thee and those members in it who don't yet know and love Christ as Lord and Saviour. Have mercy upon them. Lord, hear our cry at this time. Deal a blow to apostasy. Lord, come and work, we pray, in such a way that liberalism and modernism will be exposed for what it is. And Lord, the, the message of the atheist and Lord, those that are hedonistic at this time, Lord, that they'll discover the fallacy and falsehood of it. And they'll discover that none but Christ can satisfy. Lord, direct our thoughts and minds now to Christ. Bless all our people. We would make a prayer like that of the Greeks. We would see Jesus. Lord, show us Christ at this time. Young and old, boy and girl, man and woman. Open the eyes of understanding. Send thy light and send thy truth now. And let the light of God and the truth of God bring healing and comfort to all our hearts. Hear and answer prayer for every fear despondency for every soul that's dissatisfied. Oh Lord, let the longing of our heart we would see Jesus. Lord, hear and answer prayer. Cleanse me now in the blood. Quicken me by the Holy Spirit and use thy word this morning like a, a light in a sure place. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now a few weeks ago I commenced a short but necessary series of messages on the holiness of God. Sadly, I believe that this is the most neglected area of biblical study and a subject that is greatly misunderstood, even by many of the Lord's dear people. Now, I've already preached on the subject of God's holiness and the character of our sovereign God from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, 1 to 3. Remember, the seraphims cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. My second sermon was entitled God's Holiness and the Curse of Sin from Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. Then two weeks ago I set before you a third message entitled God's Holiness and the Comfort of Saints from 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. Then last week I preached on the theme God's Holiness and the Commands of Scripture Numbers chapter 15 and verse 40 was the chosen text. Now today I want to preach on the subject, God's holiness and the cross of our Savior. In Psalm 22 and in the verse 3 we read, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Now this is my text. And here is my theme today, God's holiness 
and the cross of our Savior. Now, many who read Psalm 22, verses 1 right through to 31, usually end up asking the question, what is Psalm 22 all about? And of course, that's something peculiar to many of our young people in particular. Now, the answer is very simple, young people, but it's very sublime, and it's this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, the prince of preachers, called it the Psalm of the Cross. And there's three things in Psalm 22. And here's the first thing about Psalm 22. It's a picture of the death of Christ in the cross. So that's the first thing you could learn this morning. What is Psalm 22 all about? It's a picture of the death of Christ in the cross. You see, I believe that the words of Psalm 22 find their ultimate fulfillment in the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. I believe that it's impossible to find a situation in the life of King David that fits exactly into these inspired words. Yes, it's true that King David was despised and rejected by men, especially by King Saul. Yes, it's true that David was betrayed by many dear friends. Yes, he was rebelled against by his own dear son, Absalom. Yes, he was hunted like a wild animal in the wilderness, especially of Judea and En Gedi. Yes, he often felt that there was but a step between him and death. Yes, he felt that at times his hope was gone, that there was no help for him and God, at least that's where men saying. However, none of these dark experiences in the life of David fit into Psalm 22 exactly. King David's pain and suffering, the anguish of his soul, do pale into insignificance in light of the pain and suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, especially on the cross. You see, the words of Psalm 22 are words of intense pain, words of deep anguish, words of agony of soul, words of dark sorrow. And I believe that a careful reading of Psalm 22 corresponds to the horrific account of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Now these words, of course, are quoted in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. This is one of the cries of Christ on the cross, a cry of dereliction. If you come right down and look with me at verse 14, it says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Think of these words. All my bones are out of joint. The bones of his hands, his arms, his shoulder and pelvis being out of joint. Think of him on the cross uh, uh, having experiences of profuse perspiration caused, of course, by intense suffering. The heart of Christ is affected. He said, my, my strength is dried up like a, a pot shirt. Think of the extreme thirst here in verse uh, 15. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. 
Verse 16, they pierce my hands and my feet. Verse 17, they look on me and stare. Think of Christ in the cross, that blood-soaked body with the bones out of joint. Think of verse 18, they part my garments among them. Was not what the soldiers did at the foot of the cross? That callous game of gambling? Does it not say, and cast lots upon my vesture? You see, you have also here the wickedness of men because they're described as dogs. They're described as bulls of Basham. They're described here as a ravening and a roaring lion. And oh, remember, young people, this is a picture of the death of Christ on the cross. And it's a picture of death by crucifixion. Crucifixion wasn't practiced in the times of David. In fact, it was unheard of. There was death by stoning, yes, but certainly not by crucifixion. Crucifixion, of course, was widely practiced by the Romans. It was reserved for the um, worst of criminals. It was like a, a public execution. And I do not believe this morning that Psalm 22 is an account of the suffering endured by King David. I believe that what it actually is is the prophetic picture of the suffering endured by the Lord Jesus as he died on the cross. So Psalm 22, young people, is prophetic. Psalm 22 is therefore messianic. In other words, it centers on the personal work of Christ. Some actually believe that these were the words that Christ was thinking of and quoting as he died on the cross. Remember what we read in Acts chapter 20 and or Acts chapter 2 verse 30. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. You see, David was not only the sweet psalmist of Israel but he was also a prophet. And as a prophet, he foretold and spoke of Christ coming into the world. Now, I want you to think with me of the night that the Lord Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can you picture him in your mind being led away by the mob to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest? He's kept under guard in the cells down below the house. He's imprisoned there for many hours. In the early hours of the morning, he was brought up out of the cell to be tried by members of the Sanhedrin Council. The trial was quick. He was charged and convicted of blasphemy. He was sent to Pilate for sentencing. He was examined by Pilate, sent to Herod, sent back to Pilate. And then Pilate, remember, took the basin of water, said he was innocent from this man's blood, but nevertheless, to please the crowd, sentenced Christ to death by crucifixion. And at that point, Christ, of course, discouraged the crown of thorns is placed on his head. He's then forced through the streets, bearing his cross to, to the place of the skull. Uh, there at Calvary, he's stripped naked. There he's nailed to the tree. There the tree is joisted up into its place. And, and of course, it's put into place between two other thieves. As if to say the middle one is the worst of all. So here's the Lord Jesus, a true man. 
of flesh and blood, and yet despised and rejected of men. One who's mocked and jeered even at the cross. They, they said things. He saved others himself he cannot save. Let, let's see if God will save him, since he delighted in him. It's all here in this psalm. There was no pity. There was no mercy. There was no one to comfort. No one to stand up for him. And who amongst us this morning should begin to ponder the physical or the mental or the emotional or the spiritual sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ? And in these very hours, what was he thinking of? Think of that route to Calvary. Was he thinking of others? Daughter, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. Luke chapter 23, verses 28 to 31. Remember the dying thief? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Remember, he, he said to those that hammered in the nails and hoisted him up in the tree to die, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Remember, he said to John, Woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. But that all changed at noontime. In those very private hours, when there's three hours of darkness, from, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, it was at that point, according to the book of Matthew, in Matthew um, chapter uh, 27 and in the uh, verse um, 46 we read, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lamai sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And here's the miracle of desolation. The Lord Jesus Christ, Abandoned, forsaken by his heavenly Father. You see, verse 1 of Psalm 22 is a very profound, intense statement. It's direct, it's explicit, it's com completely appropriate. The Lord Jesus, abandoned by his disciples. Not one of the holy angels came to his aid. He was despised by wicked men. They were happy to see him crucified. They were described as bulls and dogs and, and a, 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 a ravening lion. He's abandoned by the common people. And now here he's forsaken by his heavenly father. Remember who the Lord Jesus is. He's, he's the only begotten son of God. And yet, yet he felt completely abandoned in his holy soul. And we have to ask the question, why? It's almost unanswerable. Why forsake his only son now at this time? Well, the answer's found in the verse 3. If you look at it very carefully, but thou art holy. You see, in the death of Christ, men have acted wickedly against Christ. And yet God himself has acted wisely. Men have acted rebelliously. And yet God has acted righteously. I believe in the cross, the Lord Jesus in those private hours was thinking of the holiness of God. And I believe this morning that the holiness of God is one of the greatest demonstrations and declarations in relation to the cross of Christ. All the sufferings of Christ, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, must be seen in the context of the um, holiness of God. God's absolute abhorrence and hatred for sin. When you think of the cross, you see, we, we think of the love of God. We think of the grace of God. We might even think of the justice of God, the wrath of God. But did you ever think of the holiness of God? See, the holiness of God is one of the greatest demonstrations in relation to the cross of Christ. All the sufferings of Christ 
must be seen in the context of holiness of God. It cannot be isolated from the holiness of God. It can't be separated from the holiness of God. You, you must think of what happened to Christ at Calvary. What happened when the Lord Jesus died on the cross? Well, he's thinking about the fulfillment of the holiness of God. So, so what is Psalm 22 all about, young people? First of all, it's a picture of the death of Christ in the cross as he's thinking about the holiness of God and fulfilling it. I want you to think, secondly, the particulars of the death of Christ in the cross. There's three things that I want to teach you this morning. And it's this. Christ was substituted in the place of sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ took the sinner's place on the cross. He was substituted for all who would trust him as Lord and Savior. See, when we think of the death of Jesus Christ in the cross, we have to ask why. Why did Christ die? Well, the answer is given. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. See, the Lord Jesus Christ's death, he was not a victim of bad circumstances, nothing to do with a series of unfortunate events in the life of Christ, certainly not a mistake. He, he didn't die at the death of a martyr for some uh, political cause. His death wasn't a, an accident that shouldn't have happened. He, he certainly didn't die as a failure. That's what some men teach, but that's not true. He, he, his death was not a mere twist of fate. We'll ask this question, why did Jesus Christ come into the world? Why was he born? Why did he live the way he did? Why did he wear the crown of thorns? Why the scourging of his back? Why the suffering of this mocking and this spitting and this beating? Why die this horrible death of crucifixion? Here's the answer. He stood as the sinner's substitute. Christ was substituted in the place of sinners. Remember, he did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. On the cross, the sins of all who would trust him were put to his account, and he was on the cross made a sin offering for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he that is God hath made him that is Christ to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5, and in the verses um, uh, 6 uh, to 8, we read uh, these words. God himself uh, is revealing something to us about uh, Christ and the cross. And this is what we read in Romans 5 and 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You think of those words. Christ died. We have no strength to save ourselves. Christ died when we were sinners who had broken the law of God. Christ died when we had born with an ungodly, anti-God bias uh, away from God towards sin. Remember, Christ died even when we were God's enemies and heirs of divine hostility and heirs of divine wrath. The Lord Jesus was born for sinners, lived a sinless life for sinners, died an atoning death for sinners, rose again 
from the dead bodily, all on the behalf of sinners, all for the sinner's benefit and for the sinner's good. He literally this morning stood as a substitute in the place of sinners. Can I just suggest this morning, he was a selected substitute, selected by his heavenly father in the council chambers of redemption. It was God the Father that sent him forth on a mission of mercy. It was God the Father that gave the darling of his bosom and whom he delighted from all eternity. The Lord Jesus, of course, was a suitable substitute. Why? Because he's perfect God and perfect man. He had a perfect Godhood. He forever remains 100% God. And at the same time, he's 100% man. Uh, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh and yet very God of very God a true man of flesh and blood and yet at the same time God incarnate great as the mystery of God God was manifest in the flesh two natures a divine nature and a human nature in one body forever he's also a sinless substitute I asked the question this morning, how could a sinner ever take the place of another sinner and be accepted by God? Well, of course, the Lord Jesus wasn't a sinner. He's a sinless substitute. You see, this substitute was different. He was sinless. He pleased God. He, he was intrinsically holy. In fact, the Lord Jesus did no sin. The Lord Jesus knew no sin. John says in 1 John 3 and 5, in him is no sin. And, and, and of course, Peter tells us in chapter 2, 22 of 1 Peter that he did no sin. And as Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, he knew no sin. There was nothing in Christ that would correspond to sin. He never had a sinful word. He never uttered a, 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 a sinful word. Word. He, he never committed a sinful deed. He never had a, a sinful thought. You see, the, the Lord Jesus was not able to sin because of who he was. And he, of course, he was able not to sin. I believe in the impeccability, the sinlessness of Christ. Could I tell you something else? He was a single minded substitute. When the Lord Jesus was born, remember he says uh, at the age of 12, Wish ye not, I must be about my father's business. When he came into the world, his mind was always on Golgotha, always on Calvary. He set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. The Bible tells us who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I, I want to tell you this morning, if you're listening, he wasn't dragged, kicking and screaming to the cross. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a failure. His mind was not a, a mindset of rebellion. He wasn't trying to avoid the cross. He wasn't trying to get out of it. He set his face to go. Psalm 40 and 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. In the volume of the book it is written of me. He wasn't hesitant. If a preacher tells you that, he's telling you lies. He wasn't reluctant. He wasn't dragged. He, he went willingly. He was a single-minded substitute. Can I tell you something else? He was a satisfactory substitute because this substitute was approved of by God. This substitute was well-pleasing to God. Remember, God the Father was pleased with every aspect of the life 
and the work and the death of his only begotten son. And three times from heaven, the Lord himself says about his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now here, young people, here's why he went to the cross. Here's the particulars in the death of Christ in the cross. And the first particular I want you to learn is that the Lord Jesus was substituted in the place of sinners. Can I tell you, secondly, he was sacrificed for the punishment of sinners. The Lord Jesus suffered the sinner's punishment on the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that I've already quoted, for he that is God hath made him that is Christ to be sin for us. That is a sin offering, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, if he took the sins of his people and stood in their place, then he was making his soul, as the Bible says in Isaiah 51, an offering for sin. And the holiness of God and the justice of God demanded that Christ must suffer for these sins. See, there's such a thing as the penalty of sin. Romans 6 and 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ezekiel 18 and 4 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And remember way back in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve lived in a perfect environment, God gave them a test Genesis 2, 16 and 17, they were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said to them, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And that word surely is an adverb. We're well aware of that. But it means in dying thou shalt die. And you know how that the serpent tricked Eve? and, and um, got her to doubt God and Adam was right beside her he heard all the conversation and he willfully disobeyed God and that disobedience led to death sin remember pays wages now that's why the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard and of course it pays wages in the world to come because the punishment that every sin deserves is eternal death and God is too holy to turn the blind eye to sin. God hates sin. All sin. And his holiness and his justice demands that sin is punished. And that sin, uh, the punishment of sin must be carried out. And it's this punishment that actually fell on Christ. The holiness of God will not allow sin to go unpunished. Christ in the cross is not just about God acting in love. And of course, remember what sin is. Sin is not loving God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Remember that, that unbelief is sin. Whatsoever is not a faith of sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. These types of sin as well. The sin of not loving God, the sin of unbelief, as well as the sin of jealousy and murder and adultery and fornication and homosexuality. You, you remember tonight that the angels that sinned and left the first estate, they're reserved unto darkness Remember the old world, how that God destroyed it by a flood? Remember the world of Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of play, and how that God poured out fire and brimstone upon those cities? 
how he dealt with the children of Israel, how, how he, he dealt with the nations of the world. And here he's dealing with his only begotten son on the cross. And what do we read there? We read in the book of Isaiah these words. In Isaiah chapter 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord have laid in him the iniquity of us all. We were singing in that lovely hymn, O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. Our load was laid in thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead. Didst bear all ill for me. A victim led. Thy blood was shed. Now there's no load for me. Listen to the fourth verse. Jehovah bade his sword awake. O Christ, it woke against thee. Thy blood the flaming blade must slake. Thy heart its sheath must be. All for my sake, my peace to make. Now sleeps that sword for me. And you know, whenever you begin to think that the Lord Jesus was substituted in the place of sinners, and the Lord Jesus was sacrificed for the punishment of sinners to the shedding of his blood, then you begin to understand the cry of Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, God in his holiness cannot and will not ignore sin. And even where sin is transferred to and put to the account of Christ with its guilt and punishment, the sin-bearer, the surety, must be punished. God the Father will not lessen his wrath because it is his only begotten Son. God the Father will not reduce the punishment because it's his only begotten Son. God the Father will not alleviate the sufferings of his only begotten Son. Not even one little bit. Remember what we read over there again in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8. And we read there in Romans 8 and the verse um, 32. We read these words. Listen to them carefully. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Isn't that tremendous? If God didn't spare the angels that sinned in the war in heaven in the beginning, didn't spare the old world in the days of Noah, but saved eight in the ark, didn't spare the cities of Gomorrah, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of Plain for the sin of sodomy. Then we come to the cross. Neither did he spare his son. He spared not his own son. He held nothing back from his son. The full fury of God's wrath and anger fell upon Christ. And that, of course, reveals the holiness of God. It reveals his hatred for sin. All sin, every sin, had to be punished. And there the sin was imputed to Christ. It was put to his account. And God himself was holy and fully justified in turning away from Christ, in forsaking Christ, as Christ was being treated as the worst of sinners. How could God do anything else in light of his holiness? And we could think this morning of the severity of God's wrath. 
We, we think of all that men did to Christ, how they slapped him, spat in him, pulled the facial hair from him, smote him, planted the crown of thorns and put it on his lovely brow, scourged his back and left it bleeding red and, and, and the physical suffering. And then add to that the mental suffering, the three hours of darkness when he's made sin for us. What was in his mind? His mind was in the words of Psalm 22. He, he was thinking about those that were treating him like bulls of Bashan. He was thinking of him, those that had come against him as a roaring lion. Those that had come against him as a dog, as, 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 as wicked men. And of course, people who do wrong things to others are indeed wicked men. You think of the resentment and the rejection and the greed and the perversion of taste. And it's all here in the solemnity and the severity of God's wrath that's revealed. Think about the um, solemnity of that wrath. All sin, every sin, sin was not treated lightly. It shows us how God is. And young people, I want you to look to Christ. I want you to look at the cross this morning. I want you to look at how God deals with sin. Remember, he's dealing with his only begotten son. And he didn't spare him. Christ was substituted in the place of sinners. Christ was sacrificed for the punishment of sinners. And let me say also, Christ secured the pardon of sinners. At the cross, when Jesus Christ died and shed his precious blood, the holiness of God was being maintained. I believe the justice of God was being fully satisfied. The law of God had been fully fulfilled, not only its precepts when Christ kept the law of God perfectly, but fulfilled in its penalty because the law demanded death and Christ, of course, gave up himself unto death. And of course, we believe as well that the love of God is being revealed. And here, through his blood sacrifice, the Lord Jesus rendered a full and complete satisfaction to his heavenly Father. One of his cries from the cross is John 19 and 30. It is finished. And does those words not correspond to Psalm 22 and verse 31? The last line says that he hath done this. And in the Hebrew... It's tremendous because it corresponds to the words, it is finished. See, the death of Christ wasn't a defeat. The Lord Jesus didn't die in the depths of despair. The Lord Jesus provided a full and free and forever pardon for every guilty and penitent sinner. And the proof, of course, is the empty tomb. The empty tomb tells us that the Lord God was well pleased with Christ's sacrifice. And of course, those in Christ, those who trust in Christ, that wrath of God will never fall on any who trusts in Christ. And they've discovered that in Christ there's a full and free and forever pardon. In Christ there's peace with God. They can know the peace of God. Thou will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed in thee because he trusteth in thee. In Christ there's protection. The devil accuses us, doesn't he? The devil charges us. The devil often flags up our sins. What about this sin? What about that sin? Remember the story of Martin Luther woke up from his dream. The devil had come to him with many scrolls with a long list of sins. And Martin Luther asked the devil, are there any more? And he said, there's loads more. And 
Martin Luther told the devil in his dream to bring them to me, and the devil brought all that he could, every sin that Martin Luther had committed in thought and word and deed. And remember, he picked up his ink uh, pot and his scroll, and he wrote the words in every scroll, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And of course, the blood of Christ is the answer to every charge of the devil and every false accusation of man. So, What is Psalm 22 all about? Well, it's a picture of the death of Christ in the cross. What is Psalm 22 all about? It's about the particulars of the death of Christ in the cross. Christ, of course, was substituted in the place of sinners, sacrificed for the punishment of sinners, secured the pardon of sinners. But let me tell you one final thing in closing. I want you to think of the power of the death of Christ on the cross. You see, if I had finished the reading this morning, Psalm 22, it says in the verse 22, Psalm 22, verse 22, if you look at your Bible, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. You see, it's in two parts. And the second part, Psalm 22, verses 22, right due to 31, really celebrates the great victory of the cross. It was John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, that penned the words, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love! How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? The death of Christ is a great mystery. But the death of Christ is a great majesty because we can bow the knee to the scriptures. And even though we can't fully comprehend and and try to understand it all, we we, we, we can enter into what the scripture teaches about the death of Christ. And the death of Christ, of course, is a great mercy. Many, of course, know about Christ and they even know the way he died and when he died and where he died they even know who died but why Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and I just don't want you to know about him young people I want you to know him I want you to know him personally I want you to know him experimentally do you recognize that you have a need of Jesus Christ this morning Is he your true substitute who you recognize who took your place? Do you recognize him as the one who was sacrificed for the punishment of your sin? But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Do you see him as your sin bearer and your surety? Do you see him as your savior? I I want you to urge you to come to Christ this morning. I would love you to get down on your knees for just a few minutes. And if you're listening to me this morning, if you've never prayed, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Get down on your knees and pray this morning. God be merciful to me, the sinner. I want to assure you, he will abundantly pardon. You know, one day you're going to stand before a holy God. And what will you say? The hymn writer pens it well. Hymn 600, or 263 in the verse 5, written again by John Wesley. Listen to these words. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus is all in him is mine. 
Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold shall I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ mine own. Can you say that? Do you know the reality and the experience of that? You see, it's not enough to know. I can give you the picture of the death of Christ in the cross. I can set before you the particulars of it. But the power of the death of Christ is this. It's a transformed life. It's knowing and living in the reality of a full and free and forever justification by God. Can can you bow your head and say, thank God that he was substituted for me, sacrificed for me, that he secures my pardon and I'm going to receive him as my Lord and Savior this morning. I commend this message to you. The holiness of God and the cross of our Savior. But thou art holy. That's what Christ was thinking of in the tree. And he's given us a picture of the death of Christ and the cross by crucifixion. Here's the particulars. I set them before you. Substituted, sacrificed, and secured all in behalf and for the benefit of sinners. And you can know the power of the death of Christ. And be raised in newness of life through trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior today. The Lord bless you. We do thank you for listening.